Welcome to another episode of TRIP, the Research Inclusion Project. We're back, guys, better than ever. This is a podcast miniseries dedicated to having a conversation with our community on the importance of inclusivity in our work. And we're your hosts, Kristen Spragans and Katrina Noel. In each episode, we'll be speaking with guests in our community who's committed to advancing inclusivity in their own organization. In today's episode, we are going to hear how to recruit in a real way from market research lifer, Carrie Hecht. Carrie is the CEO and founder of Echo Market Research, and I've known Carrie for years, and she has done so much within her organization to put inclusivity first. Uh, Most recently, I've worked with Carrie on a few initiatives around participant engagement, which I think is very much connected to the soapbox that Carrie very comfortably joins Kristen and I on because it's not only about casting a wider net and including people in the conversation, it's how you treat them once yeah. they're a part of the conversation. Yeah, I'm happy you, you talked about that, Katrina, and, and Carrie goes really into depth on this too, on the different tactics and ways she's kind of reached out to new communities and maintained that community. Um, and I even like to argue that there are no bad respondents out there. I know some of us will not be in agreement with me and that's fine. We each have our own opinion. But I think um, there's just the way that we design and frame um, how to recruit and the people we want to talk to, uh, it, you know, it, we can be a little polarizing. We, we need to think about the motivations and the reasons why someone we need to learn from someone and helping them feel a part of the process and less so uh, they're, they're a, a subject matter of research and we just need to gather a few little nuggets from them. Um, so I'm excited to, for you, everyone to hear from Carrie and, uh, fellow research and recruiting advocate as myself. So yeah, Carrie. so I am one of those people that is a market research lifer. Um, so I literally, not that we're going to go through each of the steps, and, um, but I literally started on the phones as a phone interviewer for, um, Mark opinion research in Denton, Texas, when I was like, I don't know, 17 or 18 years old. And I just stuck with it. Uh, so, Carrie, I know we've, we've gotten a chance to work together, but for all of you that don't know how amazing you are, maybe you can spend a, a quick moment and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about the company you own and um, the work that you do. Sure. So um, thank you so much, by the way, for including me in this. Um, my name is Carrie Hecht, and my company is Echo Market Research. We have... I've uh, been in business for about two and a half years now, and uh, the foundation of our business, although it has evolved in some very interesting directions, was to aim to solve some problems with uh, data quality and um, overuse of participants and um, things specifically in qualitative research that we've all been sort of hammering on about for a while. And I know that you as an organization share many of the same concerns and ideas that I do about how to fix this problem. So. We aim to recruit people um, for the projects that we do in a real life way. Um, We've also now branched into an alternative to panel recruiting um, by recruiting through social media and networking and, um, you know, different things like that. So that's sort of the cornerstone of our business. uh, And we have a range of ad hoc services in addition to that. But, um, you know, just I kind of got tired of sort of hammering on about the same problems and and realized that there was definitely uh, a way to turn the solutions um, into something that was a viable business opportunity. 
And we have had lots of conversation about that, right? We both got very passionate about the participant yeah. engagement initiative from yeah. Ruben. And, um, you know, here's another initiative that we're passionate about. I think yeah. we're all just <laughs> passionate about the, if you are a lifer, you end up getting passionate yeah. <laughs> about the industry that you're in, right? Well, and if you've got to be the solution. I think one of the questions that we're we're looking to ask folks is, you know, what are you passionate about? when it comes to inclusivity and insights, right? So yeah. we all have this kind of passion about the insights industry, but you've touched on this a little bit, but I think it's actually gonna be really helpful for Kristen and I to understand, because a lot of the discussions that we've done have been about in-person methods yes. Um, yes. and recruiting and things like that. So um, can you talk us through a little bit about what you think of the quote unquote inclusivity means in the context of this kind of panel and participant engagement work? One of the things that has struck me recently and um i actually we i presented on this with um jenny carubian and we did a lot of research around this that it's the the sort of the demographic information and demographic profiles that we have relied so heavily on for the past forever um are not relevant anymore right so um you know when you're talking about things like household income right and that um you know people are 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 living in co you know they're cohabitating with roommates or they're living in places where um you know it, it it sort of mimics the rise of the gig economy right where it's like they're cohabitating with people that they're not necessarily related to or aren't necessarily roommates um so what counts as household income in a case like that what counts as um what about people who are nomadic Right. What about people who are, um, uh, you know, and on and on with that sort of thing. Right. Um, people who are in, in, in polyamorous relationships. I mean, there's a million different things that are sort of on the rise that we're seeing that we as an industry are not adjusting for. Um, so in the case of, of panel and things like that, I think that we are still very much locked into this model of having uh, representation that is supposed to mimic census data or things like that, that again, is just not as relevant as it used to be. And we haven't uh, accounted for that. Um, you know, talking about, you know, if you think about, uh, uh, about skincare products, right, or baby products, right, and we don't include men in those conversations, or we don't include um, people who identify as non-binary in those conversations, and we don't include people who are gay in those conversations, right? And, and I think that, that's, that, that it's a mistake. And so, you know, I, Katrina, we have had this conversation multiple times, you know, about switching gears from a, a linear recruiting screener to something that is more conversationally based. And you and I both feel very, very strongly that that is how we should be doing things. I could ask you five open-ended questions and figure out whether you're the right person to talk to, right, based on your answers to those questions. But you give me, you know, a 30 page screener and you still end up with people that either aren't right or aren't representing all of the people that you should be, you know, talking to. And even when you see, you know, the shift in advertising, that the advertising themselves are much more inclusive of different uh, lifestyles and, and things like that. But then, you know, you hear over and over and over again in, in, in you know, news reports and things like this, that the people that are coming up with the, the ads are still like cisgender Caucasians. So I think that there's, you know, I mean, there, there's so many different opportunities and so many places to be inclusive, but I think the cornerstone of that is that we have to move away from this idea that demographic information 
and attitudinal statements are sort of like the only things that are going to dictate whether the person is the right person to talk to. Yeah. So I have a question about how well that, how, how smoothly that's going, that <laughs> transition about talking it that way. Because yeah. I think this is like a preaching to the converted club. Yeah, right, right. right. But I, I don't think you know, it's happening. When, you're, yeah. when, <laughs> when, when you have these conversations with, with clients or with, you know, yeah. anyone along the way, do you, it, is that how, it's, how the conversation goes? Or do you kind of pitch it? In a different way. I'm just yeah. kind of curious about like what the pitch is for the transition. So, so I would say the pitch is very much like what I just said, right? And I think that there are, I think that the, the, the and I'm using air quotes around problems, right? The problem is that there are so many different people that need, that want to weigh in on how the research is structured. That when, you know, you get to the company that is the furthest down on the totem pole, that the, you know, you, I can have a conversation with an agency client and they can, we can be completely philosophically aligned, which typically you would be. But then when you get to a, a you know, a, the point of a screener or the point of creating the research design, it's being dictated from whoever their client is. And so that conversation falls short because I, I think that I think or, you know, you could have a conversation with a corporate researcher and but then they're bound by their own sort of internal parameters and or the agency that they're using or have been using has their way of doing things. So I think that the, the, the I would say the biggest challenge is getting all the people in the chain on the same page at the same time. And then I think that it's I think it's it's it can be a scary thing for people to change gears because then they don't know what to compare it to. And I think that, you know, people see it as a risky endeavor, which they shouldn't, right? Because it's not necessarily threatening to a business model. It just means that we have to evolve. I love your, your, your thought around challenging those demographic and typical attitudinal statements. Uh, I think, it sounds like that's been like a big learning experience, a big push. We need to open up the dialogue. I feel very passionately the same way about yeah. evolving the way we talk to people. Language is important. Um, and I know from my own learning experience, making assumptions is probably more, one of the most deadly acts that we can take in research. Uh, yeah. I would love to hear a little bit more about maybe a, a learning experience that you had I think that I think that that when you talk about inclusivity, there there is something about having to acknowledge that you haven't been doing it right that is important as a first step. And I think that that is hard for people to do. So I would say that even looking at myself and using myself as an example, when we've done research with people who are non-binary or gender fluid or trans um, or people that have, um, uh, you know, that, that are, are disabled or whatever. I think that the biggest learning for me was number one, how eager they were to participate and how quickly they articulate that up until that point, they have felt very disenfranchised because they have not been um, part of the conversation and not even considered to be part of the conversation. 
I think that we all need to sort of check ourselves a little bit and, you know, sort of recognize that and acknowledge that and then say, right, so I can't change what we've done before, but I can certainly change what we do moving forward. And if, if, you know, that's one of the reasons I was so eager to take part in this, because I do think that these conversations, this conversation is, is absolutely crucial in order to change that. I mean, I remember being at a, um, like a conference in the UK, and this was like a couple years ago, and I was sort of sitting in my booth and this guy in a wheelchair came up and I spent like 45 minutes talking to him. And he went, he, he was just was going on and on and on about how he wishes our industry would listen to him and his life experience, you know, and then we sort of talked about all different range of topics and so on and so forth. And he was like, my experience would be valuable and here's why. And in each of those cases, I was like, yeah, this is not something that I ever would have thought about. So I think that that's, that's the biggest thing. And you said, you know, before about assumptions that we kind of need to check our preconceived notions and really be open to and encourage other voices. And, you know, because otherwise, how are we going to get there? Right. If we're always just looking for the greatest percentage of a population to represent how everyone feels about everything, you know, we're going to be sorely, we're going to be in trouble. We're in, you know, in, in some, we're already there to some degree, but in 10 years, we're going to be in, in big trouble. I love I love what you just said about though that part of the learning experience is just hearing back how appreciative people are about being yeah. included. Like that's, yeah. you know, we actually had that experience recently when we were talking to people in retirement homes and, you know, yeah. usually you screen out people if they get to the upper end of the age spectrum. And so many people stopped us after the research and just said, thank you so much. I don't feel like I get to yeah. contribute. Like I'm heard. Yeah. This really gave me a chance. And so I, I wonder if there could be something about, turning that feedback around, like do the projects that we work on know the appreciation, the sort of credit that is being yeah. given for the study, for the brands right. to do, yes. to, to tackle yeah. things from an inclusive lens, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, go, it goes back to, you know, kind of what we were saying before about, you know, if, if what you're trying to do is represent the, the, the masses, because that's sort of like what makes the most sense. And you're, you're, again, you're missing what is potentially like ahead of the curve. And, you know, I mean, look, when we did all that research on research, one of the biggest things that, that people called out as a motivation for participating in this stuff was because they felt like it was important, right? That it felt like they were able to contribute to the brands they loved and so on and so forth. You know, obviously there have to be some parameters around who you're speaking to in order to make sure that, that there is relevancy to the conversation, right? Okay, so let's like, we all get that, and I think we could all sure. agree about that. behaviors being um, in the right location, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. The example that I would go back to is the one where we're talking about baby products, right? But I would, you know, I would think that that the challenge becomes, and in in what we as researchers and we as owners of agencies should be doing is making sure that our clients are thinking about things outside of that linear path that we've had for so long, right? Like again, there are stay-at-home dads now. There are um, same-sex couples that are raising kids. And you know what I mean? So why do all baby things need to be geared towards like a mom who's, you know, up to her elbows and dishes? Because it's just not accurate. And like in, in that case, you can really see the shift being like, you know, huge, right? The seismic shift there is something that's, that's measurable to everybody, right? It's not something that is even, that we're ahead of the curve by having that conversation at this point. We're in fact behind the curve. So I think that, I don't know if that answers the question well enough, but I think that it's just, 
Yeah, you know, I love that. that think, yeah, thinking beyond our constructive norms in order right. really to to get the insight to to make a product that's going to speak to the audiences that are going to need your product or need your service. Right. Yeah. We don't do this as much as we potentially should, but the earlier to set those expectations and to think of that for the project before it's live, I think the conversation about Yes, we're talking about baby products, but FYI, we will probably have some dads in here because that's the reality right. of the world is a better conversation than sending a set of grids and somebody saying, why is there a guy on this grid? Right. right. So I think there is a, a yeah. timing conversation too as part of a kickoff, um, which means that I, I feel like, which means that us as research teams need to make sure that we do a whole scan of the project, of the target audience to yeah. kind of you know, flag any of those moments that could happen because it is a much harder conversation to happen like happen later. And Kristen, I think that's right. when you hear that's not our audience. And then you then you're on the defense and it kind of changes the trajectory of the conversation. Yeah. Well and I think too there's always been this, especially with focus groups and things like that, where there's always been this um you, you know grouping things of like, right? So you've got the male group and the female group or the group, the age group. And I mean, I think that, you know, we're, we're almost missing sort of like the meat of the conversation. If you think when interesting things come up is when you do have two people that have, that come from different perspectives and then, you know, you're able to determine what similarities there are or what they don't understand about each other based on the conversation that they're having. And if you're constantly keeping all of those things separate, right. And looking mm -hmm. for the differences on a grid, or on, you know, then you're missing, you're kind of missing the point of the conversational aspect of this. The hardest part of this job is always the balance of being the respondent advocate, being the client advocate, and being the project right. research advocate. And it's right. to, to make everything cohesively happy at the same time is you yeah. know, something out of the matrix, really. <laughs> It, it totally. And I think, um, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with different folks about this and we get to this, we get to this like um, peak of emotion and enthusiasm yeah. and passion about this. And I always try to remember, I'm like, okay, let's bring it down to like, if someone just wants to cast a wider net in a few kind of not easy, because I don't think any of this is easy, but approachable, doable, put on the listable yeah. <laughs> um, ways. Are there ways that if you could give, you know, either an agency, a client-side researcher, a client, anybody really, um, some advice on, you know, recommendations on how to just include, increase inclusivity in any way within their work? It, you know, the thing that is popping into my head as a way to address that now is even before you get into um, you know, developing a guide or, or developing a research structure where you, you know, again, let's just go back to the baby example, right? Because it's a, it's a really easy one to wrap our heads around that you could, you know, very easily do, um, I'm going to use a term that most researchers hate, but like a quick and dirty couple of IDIs with people who are potentially outside of what you consider your, your normal spectrum for this, right? So like, let's talk to two or three dads, right? Like just, you know, phone interviews or whatever where we have just like a quick 30 minute interview to say, what would you, what do you think about this? And what would you like us to know? Right. And then you can use that in essence to, to potentially sell to your client, the importance of bringing those people into the conversation. Talking about with, um, you know, different sort of groups that have been underrepresented. And one of the ways that we recruit those groups is that we go 
that we have to network, right? So using the, the, um, uh, the deaf people as an example, right? You're going to organizations that are in whatever city that you're in and you're, you know, trying to crack so you're, you're, you're in essence, the way that you're going to find these people is to get someone at that organization to agree to put you in touch or put at least your offering in front of the people that they are serving, right? And they're not going to do that if you don't have a compelling reason why they should do that for you. So, you know, if, if the model that we're relying on to find some of these people that are not necessarily represented in databases is, is transparency and open conversations and open dialogues, you know, we, our ability to find these people gets hobbled by sort of the practices that are, are in place from the way that we've been doing things for years and years and years. So I think, you know, another piece of this inclusivity is, again, that we really have to become more transparent about what our process is, what we're doing, and then we have to be honest. Well, Christian, I was just thinking that, you know, we've hammered on about this a little bit because they're probably newer to research. Right. right. Some of these populations. Yeah. And so right. you, you, transparency is at like a heightened state in some of these cases because they're not people that, you know, have done a focus group six months ago and been waiting to be OK again. Right. This is like right. Right. Market right. research. Yeah. What am I doing? You right. Know? Yeah. And there's, there's especially given like, you know, the the current climate of things as well. Right. If you're wanting to have a conversation with, let's just say, um, you know, first or second generation immigrants right? You need to tell them very specifically what is, what this is about, who the information is going to go to, who is sponsoring the research. And, you know, and that goes, it's the same thing for LGBT or, you know, or people that are struggling with like addiction problems or, you know what I mean? We can't expect this, this sort of, you know, this stuff that we've always insisted is in a vacuum to remain in a vacuum if we want to include people in that conversation. And I think that that speaks, you know, sort of, volumes for what people are expecting of brands now anyway, right? They're, expect, they're, they're expecting um, corporate responsibility. They're expecting corporate transparency. They're expecting all of these different kinds of things. And um, if we aren't willing to build that into our processes, then we can't, shouldn't expect to be able to have conversations with these people, right? If we're not going to be honest about what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it, then why would they talk to us? If you think about any aspect of evolution within an innovation within a business, it starts with research. Now, how you do yeah. the research and why you do the research changes based on the corporation. But if you're wondering why you can't evolve as a company, it's probably because right. you've taken the same practice over and over again because it worked once for one product so right. many years ago and no one's been able to feel empowered to speak up to think about right. reinventing the wheel in essence you have to check your ego and your preconceived notions about you know anything and, and probably everything right at the door in order to let people to give people the space to talk about their experience in a way that is meaningful to them you know, especially if you think about, I, I keep in my mind, I keep going back to people in the LGBT community, right? So, so they've spent, you know, decades and decades and decades trying to fit into, um, you know, a norm and talk about themselves in a very specific way that doesn't have a lot of freedom or agency and, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I feel like that's, that, that it's such an important thing that, um, 
you know, we in, in essence sit back and, you know, you know, ask a question, but then really let people talk about things in a way that is, is expresses their experience and the language that's important to them um, and so on and so forth. And the same thing with, again, like going back to, I'm just going to keep going back to the baby example, like stay at home dad, right? You know what I mean? That, that talking about what it's like for them to have, um, you know, their wives being the primary breadwinner and what it's like for them to, um, you know, take care of their babies and what it's like for them to be the only man that's showing up at like the, you know, baby play circle or whatever it is, right? Like, it's really important for us to not put words in their mouth, but to like ask the question and then shut up and let them answer the question and actually process what it is that they're saying. We, like I said, we just need to check our ego and let other people have a, a, a big enough space to talk about themselves. Well, thank you so much for, for summing that up, Carrie. I love, I love your, your passion and your um, giving people space to be themselves and elevating their voice. And I congratulate you on building a business and continuing that mission. Oh, thanks. I mean, I think we're, we're all talking to each other because we all very much feel the same way about this. Well, we feel very fortunate that you were willing to come and talk to us about this today. I'm going to use that as a segue. Um, <laughs> thank yep. you so much for your time um, and congrats on everything you're doing. But thank you again for this opportunity. It really, um, you know, it, 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 it's such a pleasure to be a part of something like this. And um, it was, you know, such a great way to spend Sunday. So thank you, ladies, both of you. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for guest bios and links from the episode.